Maybe you've lost time and money or you're losing the wrong people. Or you just have a conflicted culture that's searching for the truth. Or it could be something like productivity loss and people are just stressed. Either way, perhaps we should talk. I'd love to work with you and share with you through my keynotes, highly engaging workshops, coaching and consulting services, how we can bring the power of belonging factor and the tools we've developed to your organization and meet these challenges with real solutions that involve people, refine process, and help you deliver better profits. So visit belongingfactor.com or rudimentsolutions.com today. Thank you for listening to The Belonging Factor, and I look forward to working with you and your teams. So what can we do as an individual um, to create the circumstances, to create the environment so that we can all bring our best selves to work? So I'd say that's the first thing is instead of being outside in or top down, it's bottom up or inside out. And so the very first uh, rule, or, or as I say, like if we look at it in concentric circles, the very much the foundation is a sense of connecting to people which you know also can mean belonging um how can we create the conditions so that people feel like they belong and you know in my experience that came down to connecting with people not process you know i worked in a large corporation and there needs to be process and i fully respect process in fact people who work with me know that i love consistency to things however when we put process and systems before people that's when things go wrong and it happens to really good people right we're trying to do the right thing for our company we're trying to do the right thing for our teams and we can inadvertently put the process ahead of the person to the Belonging Factor podcast, a show about the power of people. Each week, we explore how great brands and great leaders inspire loyalty, build community, and grow profits. Here's an award-winning leader, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and your host, Devin Halliday. Hey, welcome to another week of the Belonging Factor podcast. I am amped up this week. So much great stuff going on in the world for us to learn from and for us to be able to just make a difference in our lives and a difference in the lives of others. This week's interview is with Carolyn Swara. She's an amazing woman who has a really touching story. She's faced some tremendous adversities in her life and shares and opens up authentically about how that's helped shape who she is. She has an incredible worldview. And some of the things we talked about in this interview provide just tremendous insight and are very helpful for me. And I know for you as well to really have that worldview and shape that worldview and the associated activities that can make such a big difference in your life and the life of those who you care about, who you influence. 
some of the things that Karen talks about are deeply personal and some of them are very lighthearted and there's lessons to be learned from all of it. I had an amazing time with Carolyn and I know you are as well. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Carolyn Swara. Hey, so Carolyn, it is amazing to sit down with you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Belonging Factor podcast. What an honor. Well, thanks, Devin. I am uh, always love talking about this topic and especially with someone who I think shares the same passion as I do. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. Our listeners are very familiar with my passion, and I'm so glad that they're going to get a chance to to hear yours. Um, so why don't you maybe just kick us off, fill us in a little, little bit about your story. Sure. Um, well, I'm not going to go too far back. So, you know, when I was in grade one, uh, but you know, my story is this, I worked in, I started off my career in the nonprofit sector. And so I learned really quickly about how purpose can drive, um, and how purpose can drive you as a young person in the workplace. Uh, and then an opportunity came up for me to go into pharma. So it was a pretty big jump to go from nonprofit where you watched every penny to big pharma. And that was in, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands and different industry now. But, um, I worked in pharma for 17 years after that. And I held 12 different positions during that time. And what I didn't realize that I realize now that made me so successful was my ability to build teams and tap into the collective wisdom of the people that I worked with. So yeah, I worked in all sorts of different divisions um, and just had this thirst for learning and this passion and desire to build great teams and really to get to, to create the circumstances for people to really show up at work and bring them best, their best selves. So I did that for a bunch of years. And then the way business goes, my position um, was eliminated and it gave me the opportunity to leave the corporate world, uh, which had provided a ton of stability, but uh, there's a bit of a fire of an entrepreneurial spirit in, in me. And so three years ago, I went out on my own. And that's when I wrote my book. I did a master's. I uh, started building my business. And that brings us to, to today, speaking to you. That's fantastic. Uh, our stories are so similar. They are. Um, and, and there are countless others I've learned who are in, in that same position who, who developed this great wealth of uh, experience. And, um, and then now have a platform and ability to share that and bring others into that in so many other worlds, not just that corporate world that you're in, which, uh, which is fantastic. So, um, so you, you wrote a book and I'd love to, to talk about that. So that's rules of engagement, building a workplace culture to thrive in an uncertain world or, or just rules of engagement for the purpose of our talk. It's a little shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And, um, the, what I love about the book is just kind of the, the practical understanding that anybody can take and digest on what it looks like to to not just create a culture for the sake of a culture, but one that allows you to to compete, to to thrive, to win uh, in whatever your objective is. And and I as I'm reading, I, I I go, oh wow, this is so universally applicable. This is you know I come from a sales background, so naturally that's my first thought, but whether you're in sales or you're in operations or you're in a facilities management, um, you can still take these same principles and practices because it's just people that we're talking about, right? At the end of the day. It is. It's, it's really, it's about how can we be human? Um, And, you know, I, I wrote that book before I really had developed a lot of experience with clients. Um, 
and and a lot of that book was you know as i say from my heart um and and as you would have read you know there's a strong personal edge to that story and 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 what i'm realizing now is that you know that personal experience that i went through which was you know i was 31 years old pregnant with our first child and my husband got a diagnosis of a diagnosis of stage 4 kidney cancer wasn't good i knew that um but how I reacted to that situation was how can we create an experience? We have a young family. We ended up having two children. Uh, he was ill. Um, I had three promotions during that time. I even started crazy. I don't know why I did this, but I started a business as well during that. Cause it's not like I had enough to do, but my whole, um, you know, mantra that went through that was how can, how can I create the conditions for, others to have a good experience because this really sucks what's going on but I wanted the kids to remember happiness and so it was that idea of just being human and accepting what I could control and what I couldn't control and and you know after Paul passed away I I really learned a lot from that and I wanted to take that back into the workplace and so I, I didn't have the right words that I, or I shouldn't say the right words I didn't have the same words now about it that I do but it really was like that was a very human experience mm. and it grounded me in humanity and then I could just take that back into the workplace yeah the, the, your story is powerful and and one that um that you could tell it just feeds so much uh, and informs so much, I think, of the human experience in general that, that yeah. we all share. So yeah. as is customary for us, before we start diving in, um, I'd love to get and our listeners would love to hear what in your experience, your 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 lived experience and definition of belonging is. Belonging. You know, it's a place where it's a feeling that you have where you can be yourself and you won't be judged and you will be welcomed and you know, you're not perfect, but you're welcomed for it anyway. I just made that up off the top of my head. I didn't even think about that for very long, but yeah. And we all need it, right? We all need yeah, to belong to something. That's the thing. We all need it. And no matter what anybody's personal definition is, they all share this, this same thing. So it doesn't need to be this well-researched, uh, yeah. you know, uh, thing. It, it's really, it is from the heart. It's because belonging is, it's a feeling and some, it's an emotional state. It's an understanding of, of trust and, and the fact that you won't be judged. It's a, it's a feeling of being able to, to trust that you can be yourself and nobody's going to hold that against you. Totally. And the other thing with belonging too, is that it's belonging to something, someone, it doesn't have to be like a huge company, for example, it sure. doesn't have to be the big thing, but belonging to a small tribe, to a small community, a big community, whatever that is, it's different for all of us, but um, having that place, you know, you can go and be yourself and be accepted for who you are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like a, a partnership is, is yeah. very much about belonging, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, very much so. All right. So thank you for that. That's uh, that, that's wonderful to, to capture yet another understanding and interpretation of, of this emotion, this feeling that is so important. I mean, Maslow, you know, nailed it uh, yep. a very long time ago in how important it is for us. And it still continues to show up as one of those things that we have to feed and has to be Absolutely. delivered. And, yep. that, and that's where I love your book and, and this idea that 
um, that there is this opportunity to feed this deliberately through uh, what we build and what we create as people with other yep. people. So, um, so one of the, I mean, the, the, the book rules of engagement. So maybe we could start just by hearing and understanding your thoughts on engagement right. in general. So I'll start off by saying rules of engagement was, it was the last thing we did. Uh, and I say weeks, I had, I had somebody, uh, a book coach help me through it. I, I couldn't have done it on my own. Uh, and, and it was the last thing we, the whole book was written and we're like, what the heck is this title going to be? And, and as you would have read, there's a concept that, that I created called the purposeful workplace experience. So PWE. So we'd been playing around with titles for PWE and it, and nothing was really resonating. And, uh, and then Rob texted me in the middle of the night one night. He's like, rules of engagement. And I, I thought that's great because, you know, one, I don't believe in, in rules per se. And, and this idea of engagement, I mean, it's such an overused word. And to me, when I think of engagement, it sounds like something to be done to you versus being in a state of being. So, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was a little bit humorous to play with mm -hmm. that. And it's also a very, you know, it comes from a military, you know, my uncles who who's from the military, he's like, Carolyn, that is a, a term that we use in the military. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uncle Dave. Um, and, you know, our hierarchical structures come from those military roots. So for me, it was a real, it was a fun play on words because it represented a lot of what I think we're growing out of. Um, and at the same time, you know, I wasn't quite sure how to introduce PWE and, and there were four components to it. And so that's, that's how rules of engagement, you know, came to be the title and, 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 and such. Gotcha. So, uh, you, you talk about, you just mentioned this idea that engagement being some this thing that, that people try to, to force on somebody to do to you. Yeah. Um, but the, the reality is, is so much different with following these rules, right? Yeah. Um, so the, the, the kind of four rules that, that you talk about are, are what con connection, collaboration, adaptability, and equivalence. equivalence. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I, I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about not just at the time you wrote the book, but now since then, um, yeah. some of the things that have grown and shown up in those four rules. Yeah. Um, and so thank you. So thank you for asking for that. I love talking about those four, those four things. You know, I think to start with this, this notion of how engagement has evolved. Again, if we think of the historical hierarchical approach, it was how can we engage everyone below, right? The senior, the, the leadership team, how can we engage? So we need to do surveys and understand. And again, it was all very methodical. Where I tried to go with PWE and the rules of engagement was um, more inside out. So what can we do as an individual um, to create the circumstances, to create the environment so that we can all bring our best selves to work? So I'd say that's the first thing is instead of being outside in, or top down, it's bottom up or inside out. And so the very first uh, rule, or, or as I say, like if we look at it in concentric circles, the very much the foundation is a sense of connecting to people, which, you know, also can mean belonging. Um, how can we create the conditions so that people feel like they belong? And, you know, in my experience, that came down to connecting with people, not process. You know, I worked in a large corporation and 
there needs to be process and I fully respect process. In fact, people who work with me know that I love consistency to things. However, when we put process and systems before people, that's when things go wrong. And it happens to really good people, right? We're trying to do the right thing for our company. We're trying to do the right thing for our teams. And we can inadvertently put the process ahead of the person. Yeah, things and become a little bit prescriptive at that point. Exactly. Then, right? And, and, yeah. and when, when you find a process that works incredibly well, you want to prescribe it to other people. Like it right. kind of just, a, it's a reflex inclination almost to, to say, oh it yeah, is. this works, go do it this way. And then if somebody's not doing it that way, you forget that, oh, that person might have something different, right? So that's the, the notion behind this. Right. Well, yeah, yes. And the other notion behind it is that we we all can have different ways to get from A to Z. Mm. And in, you know, our world has definitely come to require more compliance to it. Um, and so as organizations, large organizations, well, and smaller ones, but for that matter, too, as they um, try to find ways to be compliant and ensure that everyone is, you know, quote unquote, following the rules, it just changed, it changed perspective. And all of a sudden, making sure that everyone's compliant, it's sort of, again, it removed the humanity. It's like, we're not robots here. And, and, you know, in my experience, I saw some great managers get become hyper-focused on compliance and process and forgot about the humanity because they were so focused on making sure they were doing the right thing. It didn't come from a bad place at all. Right. So yeah, that was, that was a big driver for me around connection and making sure you had that connection first and then build off that. Hey, so I want to talk for just a minute about the truth of diversity and uh, business, right? And ultimately why it matters. There's a few things that I think are really important for us to talk about, and that's that diversity equates to much more than just social growth. It's an economic driver for business. And one of the greatest challenges that all businesses face is this idea of attracting the absolute best talent and then retaining it. And when you have a system in place that allows you to create a diverse and inclusive team, you have access to all of the talent pool, not just limited cross sections of the talent pool. And so what does this do? This means that you have the ability to source from better candidates, more candidates, and ultimately land exactly what your business needs. But how does ultimately diversity solve this problem? So let's, let's, I'm going to just hit you with a bunch of data, a bunch of numbers and, and help answer this question for you. So 57% of all employees think that their companies definitely should be more diverse, particularly in the uh, C-suite and executive levels. 83% of millennials say that they are more actively engaged in their business activities when they believe that their company fosters a more inclusive culture. And so why is that so important? It's so important because in less than 10 years, millennials are going to make up 75% of the workforce. That's a big deal. You have 83% of a group that's going to make up 75% of the workforce telling you, I'm more engaged, more productive when my company has an inclusive culture. But it's more than just the culture, right? It's not just the, the, the social aspect. Research definitely shows that a more diverse management team produces 19% higher revenues. And it goes even further than that because the companies that are in the top quartile for racial and ethnic diversity are 35% more likely to have financial returns that are above their respective industry's national average. That's crazy, right? That's, that's insane. That's amazing. 
What's not amazing is that 41% of managers still say that they're too busy to implement the diversity initiatives required to achieve these type of results. So does this mean that they're deciding that, hey, I'm too busy to make more money? Or does this mean that it's it's this unwitting uh, thing where they're just leaving this money on the table and, and not truly understanding that what they're doing is opening the door for competitors to come and crush them out of market slowly but surely? So the way I see it, there's only two options uh, that exist in the competitive economy we have. You have to evolve or you have to go extinct, right? So what I'd love for you to do, if this is something that sounds interesting to you, uh, obviously you're listening to the show because it, it is interesting, but spread the word. Come down to Pittsburgh on September 12th, 2019 for the Pittsburgh Business Diversity Conference and Job Fair. Again, September 12th, 2019, it's an all-day event here in Pittsburgh. If you're not in the market, travel in. It's worth it. If you are in the market, gosh, love to see you there. I'll be speaking and hosting workshops, but there's going to be several other prominent industry keynote speakers. There'll be panels and breakouts, professional networking. There's a business expo and showcase, job fair and on-site interviews, and, and lunch is included with your ticket price. So go check it out. I have a link in the show description for you to go check out, get your tickets and bring folks with you because the power of economic and social growth lies with your decision to do something about it. Don't be one of the 41% that says you're too busy to make diversity and inclusion the thing that helps you compete and win in business. We'll see you there. So then from from there comes the second rule and that's right so again concentric circles yep we're building outward here so we're looking at collaboration right right so yeah so if if connections individually driven yep. um, and how you show up then the next one is collaboration again a very overused word i shouldn't say overused it's 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 a it's a it has a lot of meetings to people it let's does. put it that way yeah, yeah. Sure. um so you know not everything needs to be uh, a collaboration let me start by saying that yeah. there is a time and place um however the reason why i i made it rule number two or you know the second part of the concentric circles was that you know in in our environment in in the workplace now we need things faster um, we need more insight, more diverse insight so that we can make the best decisions. And so we now live in a world where if we aren't tapping into the collective wisdom, the customer is going to lose out, the company is going to lose out. And, and so we're relying on different things, right? So, so that's why collaboration is really important. And, you know, we were both, you know, talking before we got on, um, you know, you, you have a bit of a sales background. I have a bit of, of a sales background and competition was a fun way to motivate people. Oh, absolutely. One of the best ways, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, that's what makes salespeople salespeople is mm -hmm. if you get this target and, you know, your bonus was on it. I was the, you know, fortunate recipient of, of going on, you know, president's trip. So, Hey, I love competition. I grew up playing lots of sports, but you know, the workplace now and what we need in this, uh, in this VUCA environment. Uh, so volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity for anyone who isn't familiar with that acronym. Um, we need that collective wisdom. We don't need a stated winner on top and a loser, right? Like we, we don't need, um, 
we need the collective insight. And so collaboration and tapping into that is really, really important in this, in this day and age. Yeah, it is. And so when we have such a legacy mindset that is ingrained, you know, I, I, I talk about traditions. I talk about being, um, you know, the past informing our present. And when you have things like growing up in a sports environment or in school, yes, right. In school where, uh, top grades are honored with certain things, lower grades are not, uh, whether it's achievements, whether it's access to scholarships. I mean, you, you name it, any of the, the various things ranking is just this fundamental thing built into a societal DNA. Uh, yep. And so how, how do, how do we break that or, oh. or, or at least, or at least make a dent in it to where we can start making people not the rank of a widget of an individual thing more important. Oh yeah. I mean, boy, we could talk for hours about could, that. <laughs> I've got, you know, I've got two boys, 14 and 16 and, and the whole school system uh, is based around ranking and evaluation. Mm. We won't get into that. Um, and Hey, I like, I'm a Raptors fan. I have to throw that in there. I love the competition of, you know, the NBA finals and there is a time and place. And I know there are some leaders who want to create a competitive culture and to, because they think it, it will drive results. And you know what? It does drive short-term results. Absolutely does. It yeah. absolutely does. The thing is, is that um, it doesn't do that long-term. And so you know, how can we, how can we change this? Um, how can we help people break out of these old habits or old patterns that frankly, we don't, sometimes we don't even realize we're in them. You know, I think it just comes down to little things. It's celebrating team successes. Uh, I think companies that um, have stopped rewarding individual sales, that's a good step in the right direction. So moving towards uh, team-based incentives, heck, moving even away from incentives in general, and having just a flat salary or um, a compensation like for, for your work, not necessarily bonuses for certain levels of achievements. And, and you know what? Some people might be rolling their eyeballs and thinking, yep. Carolyn, you get it. That, you know, that's exactly what's going through my mind right now because I'm, I'm thinking about these folks who I, uh, I've gotten emails from and they're like, this all sounds great, but yep. let's talk about the real world. And, and I, I have to reinforce that, no, this, this is the real world. And in fact, one conversation that I recently had was exactly what you were just talking about, a large organization trying to to do some trials throughout the organization to move itself away from individual sales targets and individual commissions payouts to uh, eventually a non-commissioned environment. Yeah. And, and so part of the trials was looking at doing team compensation. And what they found was they lost their most motivated individual contributors uh, who left the organization because they felt it was unfair that somebody who was maybe contributing less total volume into the the pie was still walking away with the same amount at the end of the day as they were. And they may have in a 10 person team, they may have contributed 30% of that pie yep. themselves. And, uh, and so if we're, if we're thinking about this idea and I'd love to to explore this a little bit, cause this is reality. Yeah. If we're thinking about this idea that it's about people, are you, and this is kind of devil's advocate question here because um, I know how I feel about it. But are, are, are you saying that it's it's better to have all of the low performers feel good about what they're doing and feel like they can show up and get a pat on the back and be willing to let the high performers walk? 
So yeah, and it's it's great. This is juicy when we can have bring different opinions. Yeah. I think what I'm what I'm saying is this. Um, I worked in sales. I also we went through a transformation at the company I was at where we stopped giving the top performer trip. We stopped reimbursing those amazing sellers. Um, and like you said, we lost some of them and we shifted to rewarding behaviors. Mm. It, it was, it was a tough transition, not going to lie. And it had some issues to it. It wasn't perfect. So what I'm saying is this is be open to looking at other options. It's not always who has the most toys wins. It's not always who can sell the most wins. And so there's no one size fits all. So I'm not going to say it's one or the other. I'm saying there's other opportunities. There's other options out there. And if you give it a try and you collaborate on it together with the people you work with, you will find something that works for you. And don't just create it and push it down and say thou shalt. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the idea then of engagement being this prescriptive, I'm going to do it to you. I'm going to, you're going to be engaged. I'm in, right. I'm engaging you now. Consider yeah. yourself engaged. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That doesn't really yeah. work out so well. Not even in the military. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I might think it does. But... Speaking from my own personal experience. Yeah. Uh, so. Okay. So yeah. And again, this is such a reality. And, and so many of our listeners are people who are in that sales workforce, not just as a, a leader, yeah. but as a, as an individual trying to figure out, Okay, the world's changing around me. How do I wrap my head around this? So thinking uh, from a leadership perspective, we kind of just talked about, but from an individual perspective on you know, how you find the same fulfillment in the work that you're doing. If you're being compensated reasonably similar, um, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Is how you, how you find fulfillment and grow what it is that fulfills you by being a part of that team, a collaborator connected to other people in that team even though you might not be that person who's seeing yourself number one ranked. Right? Yeah. And so what's coming up for me, Devin, is we have valued the, this individual mindset, this, this person who will go out and crush it and beat everyone else. What if we were to reward the person who connects people or who coaches people or who helps, um, support those people to get to the top what if we valued that role more than the person who actually made it to the top with their sales and it's a question to think about because the fact that we reimburse and we compensate salespeople is a statement of what one our organization values Mm. and the people who do well in sales they value that and there's nothing wrong with that at all in today's society uh in today's workplace where it it's not just about one person anymore one person doesn't have all the answers it just it doesn't match up anymore it really doesn't and and it's it's a it's a tough thing for people to get their head around and change and not knowing I won't I'm not I'm not gonna say people don't like change because I don't believe that I think it's the fear of the unknown and what comes out of it that is scary for people and so if you're going to take away a whole ton of of commission then that's that's not cool um I I mean I personally I just don't think comp or commission-based 
a salary or if you're getting paid purely on commission, I just don't think that sets anybody up for a high level of security. And uh, I just, I don't like it. I, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's right. I don't think it, it feeds and it serves, um, you know, people in a good way. Yeah. It, and there's, there's plenty of evidence to support that. Absolutely. And, and, and as you mentioned, more and more organizations are moving towards a people centered model uh, for both how their customers experience their brand and their products and services and how their employees experience each other and the company. Uh, and, and so that's why this conversation, this dialogue in your book, I think is so critical to, in advancing the practical method of, of getting there. Yeah. Uh, so, yep. so, uh, so we have connection, we yep. have collaboration. We do. Now we're going to talk about, I think kind of where the, where the, the, pendulum starts to really swing here a little bit, right? And that's adaptability. Yes. Yeah. So adaptability and, and the next one equivalents, they're really mindsets, Mm -hmm. they're mindset shifts. Um, You know, I'm just going to go back to collaboration really quickly because one thing we didn't touch on was as a leader, how can you create the conditions to collaborate? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Which is, you know, how can you, you create good meetings? In fact, I was listening to, um, a webinar a few weeks ago with Ed Shine, who is, uh, you know, the grandfather of, of organizational culture. And he said that if just alone, we did one thing in the workforce and that is ran good meetings and taught people how to run good, efficient meetings where everybody had a chance to speak. And we, you know, landed on decisions with a, with good consistency, we would solve one third of the issues out there in the workplace. So, you know, that when it comes to collaboration, that was a piece I was trying to get across or what are some things that you can do as a leader or even as an individual contributor to create the conditions for good collaboration. So I just wanted to point that out because connection and collaboration, I tried to get a little more specific with things that you could do as Mm -hmm. a person. When it comes to agility and equivalence, the next two rules, they're a little bit more in the mindset um, category. Um, although with agility, I did, I did talk about, um, you know, how you do your strategic planning and tactical planning and, and looking at, looking at it more in terms of short-term sprints in terms Mm -hmm. of a set of like a three-year strategy map. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I kind of, sorry, I kind of veered there. Let's come back to what was your original question about the agility piece? Yeah. So, so moving into agility, because this is the part where, where again, the pendulum starts to swing because, it requires you to, to take some pretty deliberate actions yourself internally, yeah. right? Uh, whether you're an individual contributor, leader, or anybody just trying to have influence in making this workplace culture uh, thrive, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so what does that look like? So one, expect that things are going to go wrong. Uh, and I don't even want to say wrong. Expect, so have a plan. It's so important to have a plan. Expect that there will be deviations from the plan and and mitigate the risk around those deviations as much as you can so i mean that would be like the the business talk about it um you know i can think back to my days you created the plan and you worked so hard to make sure that that was what you needed to do for the whole year um you know if i come back to again what 
my, my life circumstance taught me through that journey with my husband's illness was you had to be agile. I mean, every quarter, every three months, it was literally a business quarter. He would have a CT scan and we would see if the cancer had grown or not. And we couldn't make decisions for ho- for holidays or vacations or even my own work schedule, because if the cancer had grown, then his treatment pattern was going to change. So, you know, that's where I really embraced this idea of let's have a plan, but let's be ready to shift and change and, you know, allocate resources differently um, if, if, if we needed to. Uh, and, and I think you can do that in the workplace as well. So I'll give you a tangible example of what I did with the people that reported uh, into me. You know how you have your yearly performance plan? I don't know what you, oh, yeah. what you call it in your world. We called it a PDP. Um, typically, our instruction was to develop one for the whole year with the employees. And what I chose to do was we, we did it each quarter. And, and some people want to do it longer. I'm like, no, too much is going to happen between January and March for us to have any clue around what realistically you need to be doing in September. Yeah. How many times would you get to, to that end of year and you're writing that yearly performance thing and you're looking at the objectives that were established in January (laughs) and you're going, we we don't even talk about that now. Exactly. Exactly. And, And I'm supposed to somehow give you this measurement now, now this, this thing becomes arbitrary and unimportant yep. to do it on that cycle. So wow, that's a, that's a great tip to take no matter what is that you can make an adjustment if it is better for people from what the policy is. Right. Right. And, and, and I'm not saying like, I want to be clear. I'm not saying don't have a plan. So, you know, it's important to do the thinking around mm. what could be happening three years from now. So do your strat plan. I, I don't know, three-year strat plans, so much happens in, in three years. I don't know if that's really feasible, but I think it's good to put your mind there and see what it could be, but be ready to switch um, and definitely look at things quarter to quarter. Yep. That's great um, and, and really practical, easy to yeah. e- easy to put in place. And, and from a, a standpoint of equivalence, so what, what do you mean? By equivalence. Yeah, that's a, you know, when I was coming up with that word, I struggled with it because it wasn't equality per se, um, but it was equivalence. And this absolutely is a mindset. Mm -hmm. This is the mindset that we all have an equivalent role to play in an organization. Now, your role might involve more responsibility, more um, seniority, but that doesn't mean it's any more important than what mine might be as um, as a different, like as a marketing manager or as a director of sales or or what have you. So it's this idea of really like drop the ego, drop the job title. We all put our pants or you know, leggings or whatever piece of clothing you put on. We all put clothes on every day. We're all humans. So at the time, equivalence was the word that came to me um, around that. And, and, and also, you know, we all, we all have value to bring to an organization and, and that doesn't, your job title doesn't define your value at all. And so one, we shouldn't do that to ourselves and um, it's not a good idea to do that to others either. Yeah. And, and that is, chronically evident in many organizations and many cultures and to, to, to be able to have the understanding that that is a mindset that starts with you, no matter what your role is uh, to take yourself out of that, that job title. And it can be difficult though. Can it, when you work maybe in a hierarchical structure where that is kind of 
ingrained and you want to be a person who helps buck that. Let's say you're a director of sales and your VP and, and C-suite all has this, this mentality. Now you can control what's down below you. So I want to go back to a statement you made earlier talking about what you can and what you cannot control as yep. part of your personal journey. This is where that starts to show up, right? So maybe you're a director Absolutely. of sales and, and you have 500 people uh, maybe within your organization that, that report into your organization knowing where you can have the most impact into what you need to deliver is to look there, right? And to, to know that you can, you can eliminate that barrier there, even though you may have to still honor that that's what's happening above you while trying to change it, trying to yeah. influence it. But ultimately that to recognize what is and what is not in your control, that that's, that's what stands out to me as I'm hearing you talk about this and thinking about where that practical application is when there are some barriers that you just, you can't influence that barrier to the same capability you can influence the other scope. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, Devin, it's just really quite simple. We are, we are people. We're not our job titles. Like in, and, and you ask anyone, so anyone out there listening, who is the best person you ever worked with? And were they someone who forced the respect or did they earn that respect? And did they treat you? Let's come back to belonging, right? Equivalence really is, is about the mindset of, of belonging, right? And recognizing that we are all just human. It, it, yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, and that's an interesting thing. There, there, that exercise comes up in so many corporate trainings, right? To think about the best boss you ever had and what yep. are their qualities. And so then how can you, you know, emulate those qualities? And no matter who, I mean, I've, I've probably sat through uh, 500 of those in yep. my time and everyone who shares their reasons are all virtually identical as to why that was the best boss. They exactly. empowered them. They gave them a voice. They created an environment or situation where they could thrive. They challenged them. They mentored them. Whatever adjective or word is used to des describe what it is, it all centers around this idea of being human first, first and right. foremost, uh, above all else. Above all else, and, and the other thing that let's let's make sure we're clear about this, I'm pretty sure we're going to agree on this, is being human doesn't mean that we have to be um, all gushy and, and, and you did a great job and like so, um, uh, superficial is not the right word, but just so. Um, cheerleader. Yeah, you don't, yeah. you don't have to be a constant cheerleader. Exactly. It's being real and challenging. So, I, you know, I really picked up on what you said there. The best leaders that people connect to are the ones who've challenged us when we didn't even think we were capable of doing what we've done. So again, the sense of equivalence, when we come from a place of just being a regular person, we can see beyond our own ego, we can see beyond our own self, and we can see things in others that perhaps they can't see, which helps then unleash and helps them grow and develop in their journey. And so this is the importance of where creating that workplace culture that can thrive comes in, because when you have a structure that titles are... are more for how you interact with the outside world so people can yeah. understand who you are. But inside, everybody has a voice. And whether I'm uh, a salesperson talking to a senior vice president or uh, just two salespeople talking together, the, the level of expectation should be the same around honesty, around genuine feedback. Uh, if you have an idea, share it. Um, if you have a, a challenge, voice it. Right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you heard, oh, well, they don't know. Sally doesn't know. She's in marketing. What does she know? We're in sales. She doesn't sure. know. 
yeah, it's, it's, you know, we put like, we put ourselves in these little groups or, I mean, God, I still catch myself doing it. Right. Well, they're not, they, they wouldn't understand. They don't see it the way I do, but get curious, right. This idea I'd say curiosity and equivalence go hand in hand. I love that you said, get curious. I, uh, I've written about this idea of, um, expanding your curiosity as one of the first exercises that you can really do to start to transform this thing, to change this thing. Uh, and it starts to eliminate some of this fear. Well, what is that person going to think about me? Uh, or if you've been a leader who maybe has operated for the last several years in one kind of approach and you want to make the change, one of the most difficult feeling things is, gosh, they're going to judge me. They're going to, yes. they're going to, they're going to think I'm changing for X, Y, Z reason or whatever. And it's have a meeting. And I don't, I don't mean it doesn't even have to necessarily be a meeting. It just can be in, in, in one-on-one talks, but uh, set that understanding that, Hey, I'm working on some stuff and I think it should be good. But if it's feeling weird, tell me, let's talk yeah. about this. Like, let's do this thing. But, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to approach some things a little different. We're going to talk a little different around here. And, um, and that's all of us. Uh, but it starts with me and have that dialogue to lead that. Right. I yep. mean, that, that's, yep. that's the important piece. And that's one of, I think the biggest challenges that we've probably both seen, whether it's in our uh, our professional experience or in our coaching businesses and, and consulting businesses to where you see uh, these folks who really want to do it different. They see the value in doing it different, but it's that, how do I get there? How do I do it? These people know me as a certain way. How do I still have credibility, even though I'm going to make this change or how do I still have authority? Right. That's, that's a word that, that comes up. Unfortunately, I, I think I've heard a lot. How do I still have authority? Um, what are your thoughts on, on, uh, that idea of authority? Cause I, I don't believe authority comes from, from title. I believe authority comes from something completely different, but I'm, totally I'm agree. curious to hear your thoughts. You know, well, I mean, you said a few things, my head went in a whole bunch of different ah, directions. I do that sometimes. Yeah, I know it's, it's good. Um, you know, first of all, you know, we talked about, you talked about fear and, and when we worry about what other people think, Hey, everyone goes, everyone goes through it, right? You want to show up in the best way and contribute. And, oh, what if, what if this person doesn't like what I'm doing? Or what if my boss doesn't like what I'm doing? Um, so when we come from this place of fear, as little as it might be, it gets in our way of being able to be innovative or creative or really tap into what we can offer. So, you know, I guess that would be the first thing is, is, um, to like yourself and to know that you are enough. And even on your bad days, you are enough. And, and I know it sounds so simple, um, but I'm sure everybody listening is thinking, yeah, um, don't always necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Right. We all have days. Um, and some of us fight through it every single day. I know it took me even, you know, building my own business. I would come from a place of trying to prove to clients, like, here's why I can, here's why I can do what's good uh, and what's good for your business. And when I made the shift to listen uh, and not have this authority. I am the authoritative figure on culture. You need to hire me and shifted to um, let me hear you. And then here are some ideas that could be useful for you. So now you shift from authority to um, collaboration. Yeah. Oh, hey, Whoa. is that word sound familiar? <laughs> um, to collaboration, to partner, use yeah. whatever word you want. But really, it's just two people trying to figure out 
how to solve a problem. And that's where be curious comes in, right? Exactly. That authority comes from, from the idea of, um, a respect and an understanding that there is value, shared value, aligned value. Um, and that potentially there's something that, that you can help me with or, or guide me on, um, that, that I'm interested in learning from or guiding. That's for me, that's a, a, a very loose definition of kind of where authority lives in that space there, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Devin, do you think there's a place for authority in an organization? Hey, if you are a fan of the Belonging Factor podcast, you are going to love the Belonging Factor book. My new book, Belonging Factor, how great brands and great leaders inspire loyalty, build community and grow profits is now available. So get on Amazon, order your copy today, ebook, audiobook, paperback, hardcover. We've got you covered no matter what your preference. If authority means having an expertise and a platform to share that, then yes. But if it's from a structural hierarchy, there has to be rules, right? We're gut, we're, we're, we're a a people of organization and rules. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a challenging one. Wow. Look look at you. It is a challenging one. Um, I order structure doesn't necessarily mean authority. It doesn't, it doesn't. Not at all. Um, but expertise and platform to share it. Um, when somebody is an authority on a topic, you know, under that definition, I think there's an importance for that. I, so, I, I think there's a requirement for that. Would you consider yourself an authority of um, on belonging or an authority on, <laughs> you know, whatever topic? I consider myself a lifelong student of every topic. Uh, so, I, I believe I've never achieved a level of ex, an expert level of anything. I don't. I don't know that anybody truly does. I mean, I would hope the a surgeon has, but. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think even surgeons can learn in the, as as they yeah. go, um, but there's a certain level of expertise that they have to bring to their craft. Um, you know, I think that's very telling what you just said, because in my mind, the word authority has very much of a looking down upon, I am the authority. And yet when I asked you, if you were an authority on something that you live and breathe and, and every day, yeah. Every day, you're like, no, I'm not an authority. I, I'm learning about it. Yeah. So, you know, that to me shows that words have power. And I, I, I don't think now that we're talking about this, I don't think that the word authority has a place in our current work environment. Mm. I really don't. I think if you know a lot about a topic, hey, you are very knowledgeable, but that doesn't mean that the curiosity needs to shut down. True. I agree. So, so authority being really no place in an organization because of the connotation yeah. The historical experience of authority for most of us. Like if you would ask somebody name. So if I ask you, let's do this. So I'm going to ask okay. you, um, give me an example of people who are in authority in society. Uh, police, lawyers, the president, in our case in Canada, the prime minister. Judges. Yep. Judges, teachers. 
teachers, principals. Um, yeah, I think of I think of the public service. I think of law and order. Yeah, me too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think of a workplace. I, I don't, and not anymore. I would have. I would have maybe twenty years ago. Um, and I would think definitely of authorities on a subject. But yeah, that's where I was going. Like an authority on a subject, uh, a specific uh, level of knowledge and a platform to share it. But yeah, so yeah, th- th- this is yeah, this is interesting to to explore, and something you said—the power of words, right? Like you know, the 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 idea of choosing our language is an important yeah. one in building your culture. So if yep. you're if you're if you're constantly referring to maybe one member on your team as the authority of this, what mm-hmm. does that do uh, to that idea of um, helping build connection and collaboration with the rest of the team? If if this word you're using becomes something that is kind of that, that looking down on, or that, you know, you're, you're, you're of a higher magnitude than I am. So we are not actually on the same plane. Yeah. Yeah. And, And the other thing that I'll come back to as well, and we haven't talked a lot about it and we don't need to, but you know, the simple idea that the world that we work in now is very different than what it was even five years ago, oh, yes. 20 years ago, right? Like, do you, did you have the Franklin Covey Daytimer book, right? I sure the heck did. Yeah. Did you go on the one day course where you learned how to flip the pages and use all the different, it Who sounds didn't? ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. like, it sounds just so ridiculous that we had a one day time management course that, I mean, I, I'm being facetious when I said like, learn how to flip the pages, but it was just so different. And so why is the structure that we worked under then, which was hugely successful then, why do we think it's going to serve us well now in a world where, you know, everything happens, you know, in an instant on your phone? I just made a bunch of noise there. It's not so, but we don't necessarily stop to see that. And, you know, in, in our line of work, we obviously are looking at things from a different perspective. So I keep, I remind that to, to people I speak to on the subject and my clients often is the system that you're trying to operate within now has changed. And so you've got to look at the other things around that to help, again, create the conditions and create some level of consistency of behavior for your people that you're working with. I can't wait to talk about this topic. I'm going to tease it here right now. Um, and that's the idea of connecting the values of an organization or of a person to the behaviors. Yes. That, that yes. Support it, right. But hold on. I know you're going to want to dive, dive down in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, this idea though, that you, you just mentioned our world is on our phone. So, so I mean, life is just happening fast. The pace of business is happening fast. There's so much technology that supports things like communication, right? Just think of uh, Slack or any associated similar uh, product that's out there in in the workplace, or even what we're using right now to be able to have our yeah. our dialogue. This is so prevalent, right? Um, so, what if you're uh, that leader, that person who says, "Well, you know, I'm I am fostering collaboration with my teams because they're all on Slack, and we've got all these Slack rooms set up and." Everybody has the ability to collaborate like that. Yep. Um, you know, is that collaboration? Is, is, is that really fostering the culture you're talking about in building collaboration by presenting this tool? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. And I think it's a good example of it's not what you're doing. It's how you're doing it. And so if you're using Slack, great. 
are you tapping into the collective wisdom of the people? Is everybody having an opportunity to share their insight or is it the loudest voice wins or is it the one who um, types the fastest or types the most or knows how to use that platform? I mean, Slack is great. It's also not for everybody. Right. So, um, you know, uh, no, it isn't. To answer your question simply, it's not. Yeah. It, it could be, but the fact that you're using Slack does not mean that you're collaborating. Yeah. More communication does not necessarily mean better collaboration. Right. And, and that's a, a distinction that, that I know it sounds rudimentary. It, it really does sound rudimentary. Uh, but ultimately it's, it, it, it's one that I, I know I've run into the idea that, uh, Hey, we're, we're communicating way more than we ever have. Oh, yep. that might also be a problem. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah. And it's, it's focused. Are you communicating about the right things? Are you focused on what you need to be achieving? Are you aligned on the, on a, on a common goal? Yeah. yeah. And so, so this brings to, to the, this concept of connecting and aligning your values to behaviors. One of yes. the, one of my favorite exercises to do always with a client is to ask what their, their uh, organizational values are and then ask for the evidence of where this shows up, right? The, yep. what, what those look like. And, uh, and you know, mixed results. So some organizations absolutely live their values. So it's a matter of just tweaking what those are a little bit to fit what they, what they want to accomplish. And often there's a, a big missing piece there in, in, in the connection between stated value and the actions that drive the behaviors or the communication right. that drives the behaviors. So I know that this is something that, that, is near and dear to you. So what are your thoughts on this, this idea of connecting values to behavior? So I think it's absolutely instrumental. Um, and you know, I 99.9% .9 of companies have their espoused values, right? The ones that are on the walls and the ones on the website, and they're all pretty typical, right? Integrity, trust, customer focused. I mean, all stuff that really are, are kind of table stakes. Um, now it's important to state those to start where the rubber hits the road though, is what do those mean? So what does it mean to be collaborative in your company? Um, does it mean I'm going to use Slack every day? Does it mean that I am going to, uh, spend three hours every Monday morning to have a, a three hour meeting with all the departments in my, in my company to understand what we're all doing. So it's, it's being very explicit around what that value looks like and also what it doesn't look like. So an example that I use with clients often is let's say, um, you know, a value that's important for us is to have fun, humor. What you might think is funny, uh, could be very different than what I think is funny, right? Like, you know, I'll tell cat, oh, I don't have a cat, but like, you know, some people, my husband likes to tell me stupid cat jokes. Um, and sometimes like, that's just not funny. Uh, but you know, it's, 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 it's being clear on, on what that value looks like. And, you know, I'll, I'll use an example probably because I, I wrote a paper on it, but you know, Wells Fargo, look what happened to that organization. They mm. had stated values yes. um, and they talked about them uh, in all of their literature on their website. However, it was what wasn't happening, right? So the board, I don't, I don't think that, and I don't know, cause it wasn't in, in any of the conversations. I don't do any work, anything associated with Wells Fargo, but I just, I watched it from afar. I don't think any of the senior leaders sat around and thought, you know what, we're going to try and circumvent these values. We're going to try and get around things. 
I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But what wasn't, I don't think happened, um, was that they weren't clear on what it wasn't. So, Hey, we don't want you to go around and make up fake accounts to get around this. So, um, again, it's, it's clarity. Uh, Brene Brown, who is, is one of my most loved individuals. Um, you know, one of the things she said is clear is kind and, and that clarity comes, uh, through stating what the behaviors are and what the behaviors aren't. Yeah, that's incredibly insightful, particularly from this idea that, that you can't just put it on a wall. You have to communicate yeah. it and not just what it is, but also what it isn't. Um, and so this is a place where you could make some assumptions, though, potentially as a, a C-suite person or whoever is in charge of, of making sure that this gets communicated within the organization, because one of the values is probably integrity, right? We yeah. we, we would... You'd rather finish last knowing we did it right than finish first with even one question, right? So some version of that. Um, So that's, that's one stated value. And then the other values are around how we, you know, champion for our customers, how we do this, but then all of a sudden the sales targets come out and the sales targets are astronomical 25% year over year. And you've been up double digit year over year the last two years and market conditions are changing and more competition has come in. Gosh, how am I supposed to hit this? And then, so, you know, there, there's kind of an assumption that, oh, of course our people wouldn't go do something without integrity. That's one of our values. Yep. So is, is there not just in communicating what it is and what it isn't, but in this idea of, uh, and this is one I, I have no answer for right now, and I, I'm trying to, to find an answer, but it's this idea of, so when finance comes up with the budget and the, the organization has to then hand out these targets is there an issue potentially there? Is it like, should there be some sort of process or gut check of the notion that we are going to put people in a position where they are going to have to get creative and that, so, and we don't have a value of get creative with integrity. Right. And so, so where I would go with that is, um, I mean, besides eliminating quotas completely, right? Yeah. And, and I, and I don't think either one of us are saying that, um, at all is to eliminate the quotas. What what I would say would be really important is is take those values, those company values, and within your team. So if you're given this new circumstance, you're given these quotas with these new rules, talk about those values. Let's say you have four values and talk about what that looks like on your team. So make it make it very specific for your team. And as a leader of your of the team, that's what you can do. And now you're being explicit about what it looks like here. And it's creating, we're coming back to belonging again. It's creating a place for people to feel safe to dialogue. And so when those challenging decisions come up or, you know, your integrity might be challenged because like, holy crow, I've got to hit those sales targets and I've got to pay for whatever. And I really need to get, you know, I got to pay for my kid to go to school. and I have to eat my sales quotas. I need to get that bonus. If you've had that conversation as a team and you've talked about values and the corresponding behaviors on your specific team, it's going to give that person um, more faith in what they're doing and or or an opportunity to speak up and say, hey, can we talk about this a little bit more? And now they're not trying to figure it out on their on their own. That's priceless, priceless advice. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's a perfect approach. And again, a good reminder to what we talked about a little earlier of understanding what you can control and no matter who your role of leader in the organization, 
uh, maybe you're getting pressure from you know, your direct supervisor, your director, whoever. And as a as a you know regional or, or local manager, that's fine. Take the pressure, absorb it. Make sure you are clear with your team about what it looks Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. You can, you can control what, that. Absolutely. So you know, and that's what PWE, you know, this purposeful workplace experience, this idea of belonging. That's what it's all about. We have stuff that comes at us every day that we're not expecting. Um, or that we've even planned for, but create the sense of belonging, have the conversation, have the dialogue together, and you will make it through. You'll manage it through. Just like I managed through my, my own life experience. Um, you can, you can make it through those, uh, those little hurdles, those little storms that, that, that you face. Such great authority you speak with. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say conviction. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Uh, Yeah, Conviction conviction. from having lived it, seen it, and and know that it can happen. Yeah, at work and at home. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So um, so before we start to to kind of get towards our our last piece here, I'd like to just remind all our listeners right now that you can go on Amazon or any bookstore, right? Uh, yep. but go to Amazon right now if you'd like to get Rules of Engagement by Carolyn Suara. Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. Um, a lot of what we've talked about today is in there and even in more depth uh, as well. And then, of course, check out the show notes. Um, look in the description because you're going to find all of the ways that you can connect with Carolyn through uh, LinkedIn and every other social media possible out there get connected to her website. And of course, if you'd love to work with Carolyn, she um, does that as well. So, yeah. so check that out. All those links will be down in the show notes. Um, and it is a great read and a book that you should have uh, as part of your catalog and something that you could definitely share with some others in your life. So check that out. All right. Um, so now that you were embarrassed that I just went through your, <laughs> through an ad for you, um, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to share with our listeners don't do any deep soul searching. Don't do any crazy work, but do something today to change the way you show up and create a sense of belonging or an impact to your culture. What's one thing that no matter your role, your position, your responsibility that our listeners could do today, as soon as they're done with this episode to go have an impact, get up and out of your chair and go and talk to somebody. Hey, how's your day going? Hey, what's been great about your day today? Hey, what do you love about your job? Something to pull us out of our screens, something to reconnect us as a human. And it takes a minute or two to do. Powerful and practical. Yep. Yep. Have a a conversation, have dialogue. Yeah. Have that. Talk to the person you're riding on the elevator with. Hey, how's it going? Oh, that's going to freak some people out. They're going to, I know, but that's okay. Could you imagine like, if somebody asked me on an elevator just randomly, hey, how are you doing? I, yep. I would be freaked out. Like elevators are one of those sacred places where you're not supposed to talk to anybody know, or touch to anybody, at... look straight ahead or look down. Exactly. Okay. So maybe not on the elevator. Maybe <laughs> when you're walking by a cubicle or yeah, an sure. office. Um, or, or on just... an elevator. Why not? Like, why the hell not? Like, let's just break the mold. Yeah. Or, you know, introduce yourself. Um, you know, I was ordering my lunch today. I'm like, hey, how's your day going? And she looked at me and there was a light up. I'm like, are you having a good day? And she's like, yeah, actually. So, it, you know, just people aren't expecting it. And if you can show up and just um, be in that moment, 
it's pretty cool where, where, where it can take others. And that's the key, right? Be in the moment because, uh, because we often say, Hey, how's it going? And it doesn't matter what the person says. We we're not even listening for it. We've done our part. We said, we said something and really it's that be curious. It's, it's the be genuinely curious, be authentic in showing up. I'm asking the question, not because I wanted to hear myself ask it or be pleasant, but I'm genuinely interested in the answer. Cool. Yep. Yep. That, that's a that's an easy thing, I think, uh, and I, I know all of our listeners would agree, that's an easy thing that we can get up and do right now um, or today to go have an impact on building out this this culture and this ability to connect as people. Yeah, and, and you know, don't underestimate how powerfully simple that is and how much somebody might appreciate it, right? We all struggle with, am I belonging here? No one's talking to me. My boss just ignored me or that group just went for lunch and they didn't invite me. The simplest things can have a really big impact. Well said. Yep. Very well said. All right. So, um, so it, it's come to that time where oh, I'm sad. I'm sad, Devin. We're, we're, we're closing up the show <laughs> and, uh, and it has been phenomenal to be able to, to, hear from you and understand a little bit about your story and, and what's driven some of the things that, that have caused you to, to learn and, and ultimately share. And I can honestly say it's been a gift to have you sharing here on the Belonging Factor podcast today. So thank you very, very much. Oh, well, thank you, Devin. I've, I've, I've done a bunch of, uh, of podcasts and this, this was uh, a very special one for me too. It was, it was fabulous. So thank you for having me. I almost thought you were going to say the best one ever, but we don't do rankings, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No one's an authority, Devin. No one's an authority on uh, this. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. So Carolyn, thanks for joining us. Catch Carolyn, uh, go to carolynswara.com, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N, swara.com. And you'll be able to uh, find that in the show notes as well. Check out the book. It's definitely worth a read and then a read again. I'm on my second read. So this has been, uh, again, fantastic to have you here. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Belonging Factor podcast, an amazing interview with Carolyn Swara. And I hope you found as much value out of it as I did. If you'd like to work with me, The Belonging Factor, and Rudiment Solutions to truly transform your results by building a purposeful and meaningful culture, I'm available to work with you in workshops, keynote speaking, coaching, and collaboration. Visit belongingfactor.com right now if you're ready to take the plunge and make this next step in your journey the best one yet.